This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One Expandable Backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick. It's time to return to the Matrix. That's right. We're here with the official Rick and Rick review of Matrix Resurrections. With all the gunfights, force fields, window jumps, and sentience. Plus, all the callbacks, sideswipes, metaversal meta-commentary, and a whole lot more. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody loves to rick off the new year, right? And everybody rules the world. Hello, everybody. Welcome to an all-new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Jada Pinkett-Smith. I, I mean, Rick Wooten. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How you doing, Rick? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I, I think I uh, I think I messaged you separately and let you know I, I actually did get the COVID. Uh, Santa brought that for me in my stocking, and so it uh, took me a little bit to recover from that, but I'm all back in 100% again, which I'm pretty excited about. Good. You know, I know so many people that got it. Were they able to confirm that it was Omicron? You know, no, unless it's done in the lab and this and that, they don't actually run the DNA on that to determine it. But I mean, from the symptoms I had and everybody I know, I, I think it's pretty clearly Omicron. You know, and, and the good news is if for those of you, all of our listeners who are vaccinated, it's not that big of a deal as long as you're vaccinated. I yeah. had my triple vax, you know, I had my booster as well. And so I had uh, maybe just a day and a half of a bad cold. And then, uh, you know, every day was exponentially better than the previous one. So within three or four days, I was I was back to myself. Thank God for that. So as listeners may remember, in our last episode, we both named Matrix Resurrections as our most anticipated December 2021 release. And we have studiously avoided chatting about it so we can share our real-time conversation with you. But fair warning, just because we have been getting emails about this or telling you right up front, we are packing all the spoilers here, folks. So if you have not yet seen Matrix Resurrections and you plan to, you might want to come back later and hear the official Rick and Rick take because we're going to be spoiling probably everything here. Absolutely. And one thing though, we before we dive into Matrix, we should probably address the 800-pound arachnid in the room, our second most <laughs> anticipated December 2021 release. Spider-Man No Way Home has topped the box office for a third straight week in a row. Uh, in fact, Rick, I don't know if you saw this yet, despite this being pandemic times, our friendly neighborhood web slinger has snared more than $600 million at the domestic box office and more than $1.3 billion worldwide. Wow. I saw this in ABC News. This catapults Peter and his tingles well past Black Panther <laughs> to become the 12th highest grossing film of all time, despite a holiday surge from that evil doer known as Omicron. That's pretty amazing, Spider-Man. That's crazy. By comparison, Rick, Matrix Resurrections has been something of a box office bomb. So according to Deadline, its five-day opening grossed about $22.5 million at the box office. But I think it's because it's also available on HBO Max. Exactly. I mean, that's how we watched it. And I did see that according to data from Samba TV, we know at least 2.8 million people watched it on HBO Max and probably countless others on you know, non-smart TVs and, uh, and other devices. And I did see separately that, that HBO ranked 
among the top 10 most downloaded apps of 2021 in the U.S., while Disney Plus and Netflix both fell out of the top 10 oh. after ranking at 8 and 10 last year. So Matrix, no doubt, played a role in that. I mean, if you were kind of on the edge, oh, do I want to get HBO Max? That had to have played into your decision there. So yeah, you know, if you, if you said that 2.8 million people watched it, you assume an average box office is about 20 bucks because, you know, you have more than one person usually watching at a time. Yeah, that's another. Fi- yeah, that's household. Exactly. Right? That's another, you know, $56 million, uh, which would have pushed it up quite a bit. Okay, so without further ado, let's dive into Matrix Resurrection, which is directed by Lana Wachowski without her sister Lily this time. And uh, I'm going to to get your overall take, Rick, and then we'll double dick, double dick, <laughs> double click down into details. And uh, I'm going to start by posing a question to you. In our last episode, you said something that I think we both said a number of times that we don't really think that a new Matrix movie was necessary. Didn't need to be made, but of course we had to see it if they were going to make one. So now, having seen it, what is your overall take and was the threequel worth it you know like a few movies we've talked about recently i i tried to just enjoy it as a standalone movie and not try and put too much into the fact that it was a you know a sequel to probably one of the the toughest movies to kind of live up to so with that said i i, I thought it was good just as a movie right just as something that was canon within the matrix universe but i still don't know that i necessarily needed it to be made i i think that while i enjoyed the movie and I'm glad I saw it and you know well that I, I I think we could have done without it I I don't know that it really wrapped anything up for anyone or it really continued the story that much more but you know anyways that's that's just kind of my first opinion what about yourself what, what did you think it was necessary no not at all I mean Matrix was a complete masterpiece and needed nothing beyond it back in 99 when it came out but I feel like I liked it a lot more than I expected. The bar was low, but I kind of felt like having Neo and Trinity middle-aged and kind of creating the whole thing around this sort of longing for rekindled love from a life that they felt like they were supposed to live. Yeah. And so I felt like there was more of an emotional punch to this one than even the original, I think, did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think it was interesting how they approached it. If you remember going into it, we talked quite a bit about who was in the movie, who wasn't in the movie. Can they really recast some of the people? And, you know, I, I think overall, I, I think they actually did a pretty good job at, you know, kind of continuing it through. The the one thing I, I have, to, I, do, I made a joke about this going into it, but I really felt this way after seeing the, the movie. It, it really did feel like Keanu Reeves was playing John Wick. <laughs> and I, I, maybe John Wick just spoiled me, but with the beard, with everything, it was just like, wow, yeah, this, this is, uh, this is, you know, John Wick three and a half. You know, what's funny is that the guy who played Trinity's husband in this, Chad, yeah. apparently he was a stuntman for Keanu Reeves back in the day. I don't know oh, if it was cool. in the Matrix or what. Yeah. And went on to become the director helming John Wick. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So let's tackle the plot here. Apparently, after the events of Matrix Revolutions, the machines somehow restored Neo and Trinity to life and placed them back within their little Matrix pods after discovering that the two of them are the single biggest source of power in all of humanity. Within the Matrix, we find Keanu Reeves as Thomas Anderson, aka Neo, trudging through a soulless existence as a world-renowned game developer whose biggest success 
was a game called, you guessed it, The Matrix. So this is set 60 years after Neo and Trinity died, and the events of the preceding film somehow penetrated Anderson's consciousness enough to become the basis for a trilogy of massively multiplayer online games that everybody knows and everybody loves. Anderson is upset when his business partner, Smith, reveals that their firm's parent company, none other than Warner Brothers, wants to launch a fourth Matrix with or without them. But Jessica Henwick's character, Bugs, has other plans. After she and the crew of a hovercraft called the Nemozine discover a modal where the original Matrix is playing out, but it's evolving. Unfortunately, she becomes a target herself, but she's freed by a agent who has gained sentience and realizes he is some digital version of Morpheus. Now in a much younger form and played by Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, together their mission is to free Neo. But once they do, Neo sets his sights on freeing Trinity, who is now Tiffany, a mother <laughs> of two who's married to a dude named Chad. They can't remove Tiffany from the Matrix without her choosing to be free. And so what ensues is a kind of reboot slash spiritual successor of the Matrix, but with some interesting new antagonists and unexpected allies. In the end, we learn that Neo was right. He's not the one. In fact, the one appears to be the one true love shared by Neo and Trinity, who now wield enormous superpowers and aim to reshape this digital world of the Matrix to their liking. Wow, that was a lot to take in. What did you think about the basic storyline? I think that the story came together pretty nicely. I, I see what they were doing. They were, you know, kind of taking the movie in a, in a little bit different direction. Like I said, if I take it on its own as opposed to trying to, you know, make it a sequel, I, I enjoyed it. The movie was a love story. It was about the reconnection of Neo and Trinity. And from, from that perspective, I thought it was really good. You know, we talked about this up front i think you know some of the cast choices kind of made you wonder uh, them recasting morpheus great actor by the way the the person they recast him into and they, they explained it away and why that was different and that you know that character was kind of like a combination of morpheus and smith and a few other things but i yeah i, I did kind of i did kind of miss that but that's that's all right i mean they they made up for it by putting in one of my favorite actors which is neil patrick harris who just had me in stitches you know most of the way through the show so i think he carried a lot of it so i I, I really enjoyed the story. I, I thought it was good. I, I kind of liked how it wrapped up. Like I said, I, I wished it was kind of like its own thing as opposed to the storyline, but being part of the Matrix, it, it carried a lot of baggage along with it. Did you notice that Neo doesn't once pick up a gun? He doesn't shoot at anything. No, I did not notice that. He only deflects. He only uses the force field, which I thought was very interesting. But the other thing, Morpheus is an agent. They establish that he's gained sentience and is Morpheus. But they show the moment when he's standing in the mirror and we see him at the gym and whatnot. And I found myself going, well, wait a second. He was an agent. So do the agents have personal lives too? Or are they going home and going to the gym in the morning and sleeping at night and brushing their teeth? And how does an agent not know that he is an agent, that he is a digital entity protecting the Matrix. I'm not sure that made sense to me. I got the feeling that he was more of a watchdog that would be activated when necessary, as opposed to, ah. you know, being an active agent. He, like I he see. had the code there. Gotcha. So you're saying that it's possible that he was a version of the people that jumped out the windows towards the end. They were sort of activated, that he was more like that kind of agent? Yeah, that was my take on it. That, that at least makes some sense. No, I'm going to stick with that. That's a good answer. Mm -hmm.
speaking of the cast, so yeah, we've got Keanu Reeves. He looks like John Wick. <laughs> got Smith. So Smith is played by Jonathan Groff. Now, anyone who has raised a daughter anytime in the last 20 years probably found his voice pretty familiar because he was the voice of Hans in Disney's Frozen. Once Smith is reawakened as Agent Smith, he's pissed and at least temporarily allies with Neo and company to defeat Doogie Hauser, MD. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, who plays the analyst. And he is Neo Shrink, who is also, I guess, kind of the new architect of the Matrix. Is that what he yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. That's that's my impression, yeah. Okay. And so he's kind of just monitoring Neo and kind of keeps him taking the blue pills and make sure he's safe and sound because it was, I guess, the analyst who figured out the way to get Neo and Trinity back into their pods, pumping out all that energy. You know, I, I you, you said this, but I just want to kind of reinforce this. Like he was monitoring Neo, right? I mean, he was meeting with them, but he was also watching Trinity. Yeah. But I, he was the architect because he kept, he kept talking about how he had basically adapted the Matrix in order to create that human element. And that human element was very much dependent on Neo and Trinity's love, but then they couldn't be together so that there was struggle and there was strife and that he had created this matrix all around that. And right. so his impression was, the, you know, this matrix would collapse if the two of them ended right. up getting together. Right. And it kind of calls back the moment in the first movie where Smith said that at first we made the Matrix a utopia, but humans didn't thrive there. They needed some kind of pain or some kind of drama to embrace the Matrix. Right. So Jessica Henwick is Bugs, and she is a callback to the girl with the blue rabbit tattoo in the first film, who sends Neo heading through the looking glass. We've got Morpheus, but instead of pure black off trench coats, he's like a Technicolor freak show. At one point, I swear he's in like a purple getup that looks like the Joker. What the hell was that? I don't know. So funny. I don't know. Andrew Lewis Caldwell plays Jude. He's a colleague of Anderson, who is also a handler right. who tries to keep Neo in line. So he interjects at key moments to distract Neo. Although another thing that sort of doesn't ring true in retrospect is that he made it a point to introduce Anderson to Tiffany at the coffee shop called Simulate. Right. Why wouldn't he just change the subject or get him out of the coffee shop if his whole goal is to make sure that these two don't become cognizant of their true identities? I, I guess the only way you could explain that is to assume that there's some randomness going on that not everything is perfectly controlled by the analyst. And so, yeah, when obviously Keanu had had this obsessive behavior where he was going to that coffee shop, <laughs> kind of stalking Trinity over and over yeah. again, Tiffany. Yeah. And, and so anyways, I I think that he was almost more of a tattletale than he was somebody trying to control him. You know, it was really Neil Patrick Harris as the analyst that was controlling him. Okay. Outside of the Matrix in the real, real world, Jada Pinkett Smith returns as Niobe, who is now General Niobe. Thank you very much. She's torn about Neo's release. When they finally get Anderson to recognize that he's Neo and then extract him out of the Matrix, she's kind of apprehensive about his desire to free Trinity because she's kind of led a period of detente with the machines, or at least some of the synthients now are aligned with the humans, including this little machine thing named, I think it was Lumen, who appears to be played by Babu Frick. <laughs> did you see that little That's character? Awesome. I did. I did. 
We had Sati Priyanka Chopra Jonas. She's basically the mastermind behind the strategy for extracting Trinity from her pod without killing her in the Matrix, which involves having bugs take over the avatar for a bit while they're doing the transition, so she's not killed in real life. Correct. We had Chad, who's played by this Chad Stahowski guy. This was interesting too. I read that the guy who plays what Neo's supposed to look like inside the Matrix is actually Carrie Ann Moss's real life husband, oh, Stephen Roy. So the old guy that we catch in Reflections, that was apparently her real life husband. Interesting. Now, lots of callbacks. So let's tackle callbacks next. Of course, we mentioned bugs. There was the cat. So the analyst cat was a black cat named Deja Vu, a callback yeah. of the first film where they see the black cat and he said, that's weird, Deja Vu. And they said, oh, that's a glitch in the matrix. The game company, I laughed yes. out loud, Du Machina, yes. which is not Du Ex Machina. It's not God in the Machine. It's God Machine that's right. is the name of the company. The coffee shop is Simulate. At one point, we see Neo challenging down on stake just like Cypher did in the first Matrix. Not sure why he was. It seems kind of like a random thing. I don't remember if he was getting ready to leave the Matrix or something and wanted to enjoy one last stake or something. I don't know. Well, he was he was he was the Judas. He was the one selling out his team. And that was the the he was eating steak with uh Agent uh, Smith and whatever the other one is and uh, was like, I know this so isn't it was a reversal. Yeah, I know this isn't real. I know, you know, and and so I think that was like you said, a callback to that. Got it. The name of the hovercraft was the Nemazine, and Nemazine, I think it's Greek for memory. And Lambert Wilson, he returns as an older version of the Merovingian yes. who appears in that great fight scene, but uh, he's spouting French and just spitting mad at Neo, uh, I guess because Neo thwarted him in, in, I guess, the second movie? I can't remember. But I looked this up, Rick. He's speaking French, but I looked it up. He was saying, we had style, we had film, not this pew, pew, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, which I thought was hilarious. Satie's reading Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. What's interesting is the technology has advanced. It's sort of funny to show you how much time has gone by. As you don't get in and, in and out of the Matrix through you know dial-up modems anymore, you go through mirrors, just like in Alice in Wonderland. Right. And the song that they play in that extended scene was "The White Rabbit" from uh, Jefferson Airplane. So lots of callbacks there, but I kind of liked it. Yeah, one of them was. Uh, you know, I still know Kung Fu. You know, it just was like, yeah. uh, there was the uh, the scene where they were, they were trying to escape and there was a helicopter on the roof. Again, very reminiscent of uh, in the first movie where, um, you know, they, they were kind of, you know, again, jumping from rooftop to rooftop and they had this helicopter chasing them. So they did, yeah. they did a good job at pulling some of that into it. Now, this was a movie that's meta about its own metaverse. In fact, this is a movie that's meta about being meta about its own metaverse. We've talked about this. The movie is about a Matrix gaming franchise being rebooted. The story of Neo and Trinity is a game, and Smith says Warner Brothers is going to do this fourth Matrix with or without right. us, which is apparently what happened in the real world. So I think I read that WB was going to do Matrix 4 with or without the Wachowskis, and so Lana took it on, I guess, after their parents died. And so after all this time, she did it. But talk about pointed commentary in some of these scenes. You get the idea that she's heard so many stupid ideas about the Matrix. I don't know if you watched the after credit scene, but yeah. I mean, there's a, a brief moment at the end where like someone's talking about, I think they were saying, what we need to do is make a Matrix where it's with cats. <laughs> yeah, Catrix. She's making fun of the studio, but also I guess, I did not know this, Rick, maybe you knew this, but apparently 
someone pointed out that Nightmare on Elm Street did the same thing and so did Ghostbusters Afterlife, where the characters who had experienced these things, now their stories were fictional and they had to go through them again. Interesting. I am not familiar with that at all. Nor am I. Interesting. Yeah. And then she also makes a lot of fun of the Matrix itself. Like I said, you know, Morpheus, who used to be in all black, is now always dressed in sort of neon colors. And he even says something like, uh, you know, yeah, I know it was a callback, but I couldn't resist or something like that. And then he makes fun of these lines that everybody loved. I don't remember them specifically, but Morpheus is reciting the lines from his predecessor, but then instead stops himself and goes, and blah, 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 you know, saying this is all just silliness. I thought that was interesting. And there's also a lot about binaries and duality. So you think about the humans and the machines. Neo and Smith are sort of opposite numbers that need each other to survive against the analyst, their binaries. Uh, we have Neo's latest game is freaking called Binary. Right. And of course, Neo and Trinity. Frankly, Rick, that whole thing was where I got the closest to the idea that you know we read about last year that the original Matrix trilogy was about transgenderism. That in this movie made the most sense for me. So uh, we learn that the one in the end is both male and female. It's both Neo and Trinity. Right. It's only when Neo and Trinity embrace one, the truth, and two, who they really are, that they become the one and gain great powers, that they live to their fullest potential. If that's where she was going with it, that's the thing that made the most sense to me, because otherwise I, it's not immediately clear to me how this is about transgenderism. Yeah, I think Lana and, and her sister, they did a streaming series on Netflix called Sense8, uh, and it was a fantastic show. I really enjoyed it. But the social commentary got so thick at times that um, some of the story was lost. And I, I think, you know, to your point, this shows a, a bit of maturity and evolution that 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 didn't happen here. You know, they let the story shine through and, and there were these undercurrents. But at the same time, I, I thought they were additive to the story. And I, th I thought, you know, it was really well done. I, I think the the only place where I thought there was a little bit maybe too much is the towards the end. You know, your interpretation is the two of them as the one. I, I still didn't feel like that. The, like at the end, it's still that he was the one. But he was, you know... Um, you know, empowered by being with her. So I, I, I don't know. It, it felt like it was a little bit forced. And in fact, mm -hmm. one of my biggest criticisms of the movie is, you know, in one scene, Neo couldn't fly. Right. And then all of a sudden, in the next scene, he flies. And it was yeah. like, what? How did that happen? Like, how did we get from one point to another? It felt like there was a middle scene that was missing. Yeah, th that caught me a little bit, too. They didn't ever have that moment where he regained the faith or whatever. Exactly. When they jumped out of the window, it was like they were in free fall. But she didn't waver, really, and stayed sort of buoyant. And he sort of started flagging and yeah. started falling. I, I think what he was trying to convey is she retained the faith and he didn't. Yeah. He lost his faith in and needed to hang from her. But then the next scene, he's flying. Exactly. Because that had been a recurring theme. If you recall back, even in the first, you know, three movies, you know, he never felt like he was the one. He always doubted that he was one. He was always fighting his self-doubt. So, that, I mean, in, in one way, that was a nice continuation of the same theme. But then in the last scene, he's flying. So, like, what happened? Right. Like, it, So, to me, there was like a little bit of story in there that just didn't yeah. sit right. And I, I wish they'd kind of wrapped up. Yeah. You know, we only needed a split second, exactly. even expression on his face. Like, exactly. Oh, yeah. And then able to fly himself. And, and he could have been... It could have been inspired by her. He could have been, you know what I mean? Like there was an easy way to wrap it up that 
It feels like it got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Now help me out with the cycles thing. I couldn't remember the other instances, but I swear it feels like there were three or four instances in the movie where they made references to everything goes again. You know, like like uh, when what's his name said uh, stories never yeah. end. They like, you know, recycle. Now in some ways it was a commentary on story stories. You know that we do tell ourselves the same stories over and over again, and this sure. movie is telling us the same story. You know, different way. But did it have any sort of meaning with? the older movies yeah so in the in the older movies what they kept talking about was this wasn't the first matrix there were many matrices before this and they were talking about how there were many human civilizations not just the one that that neo was aware of and in fact he isn't the first neo that like there were other chosen ones there were other you know champions mm. and so they there was lots of references to the fact that you know all of this is just like it goes again and it goes again. Now, if if I'm trying to be, you know, too in- intellectual, uh, you know, one would argue that it's it's kind of like what you hear about with different civilizations, right? At one point you had the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire, then, you know, you right. keep filling in the blank. Now you've got the American Empire and is it going to last? And so, right. you know, there's, there's probably some commentary in there or maybe I'm reading mm-hmm. into it too far. Uh, but you know, anyways, yes. In 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 all the movies, there was always this idea of of cycles and you know of things repeating, which which in a way, you know, <laughs> what is it called, chiasmus? Um, yeah. You know, we talked about that with the Star Wars movies, and it, and in fact, one of the things that I was kind of laughing as I finished the movie is like, wow, that was literally a repeat of the previous storylines. And, you know, yeah. it, but it, th- I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It was just like so evident to me after, after we spent so much time talking about that. All right. So time for final grades. What say you, or you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? So that I, I'd love to hear what you think of this overall, Rick. What grade would you give it? Part of me felt like it was a C plus, but I'm not sure why. And I felt like it deserved better. Like like we've talked about it being something different and the emotional aspect of it made it compelling. So I think I'm going to give it a B minus. I don't know that it raised, maybe, a, you know what? I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say so, uh, solid, even B. Yeah. You know what? That It's funny because I, I have the same internal struggle. You know, I, it's hard because I want to compare this to the original ones, but I, I don't feel like that's fair to the movie. You know, looking at it on a standalone with, you know, paying homage back to the original, I'd give it a B. And I would give it a better grade if just some things were kind of tuned up a little bit. Like, like I said, I, I it was distracting how many flashbacks, is, um, you know, reuses of footage from the original movies, and so I was a little a little bummed about that. And then, you know, I, I felt like there was a couple of places I mentioned the one, you know, the story kind of jumps. I feel like they left, you know, some some stuff on the editing floor. And then I, you know, I kind of had the the same feeling you did, where it's like, eh, it's good enough. So I, I give it a solid B. I'd recommend anybody seeing it. I, I really enjoyed it as much criticism I've given you on this. It, it's more just because it has such big shoes to live up to. It was a fun movie, and and I like the love story. I, I like the you know the social commentary as it you know related to large uh, you know metaverses to you know what's going on in you know current society. I I just thought they did a great job. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our official Rick and Rick review of Matrix Resurrections. Thank you so much for listening everyone and uh, till next time stay safe keep each other safe and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is rick and everybody rules the world